Hello and welcome to Harlan First and Monroe Chapel United Methodist Church's sermon podcast. It's great to have you tuning in. I'm Pastor Mike Agnew. We are currently in the second Sunday of Advent, and in the season of Advent, we're focusing on the good news of the season. Because regardless of whatever else might be going on in our lives, the good news is all around us, the good news of Christmas. It doesn't change. It isn't somehow canceled out. It's still here. And so each week during this season, we're focusing on a different theme of the Advent candles that we light. So last week, it was hope. This week, it's love. And when we think of love, we can't help but think of Mary, the mother of Jesus, as mothers love their children, so Mary loved Jesus. Now, Mary came from a small town named Nazareth. Its population was about two to 400 people, very small. And when I think of Nazareth, I can't help but think about the time when I first started in ministry. I graduated from undergraduate school and then moved to Grant City, Missouri. Maybe you've heard of it. I became a local licensed pastor, which meant that even though I wasn't ordained yet, I hadn't yet been to seminary, I could still do all the things that a pastor needed to do. And so I had three small churches. One was in a town called Sheridan that has a population or had a population of about 150. Then Grant City had a population of 700 to 900. And then Denver is the third city or town, and that's the one that had a population of 45 to 50 people. So, I mean, these are really small towns. We lived in Grant City, which is the county seat because it's the largest town in the county. So it had the county school. It had a number of businesses. Not a lot, but it had some. They had a hy-vee. The hy-vee is four aisles in length. It is literally the smallest hy-vee in the nation. There's no pharmacy in town, so if you need to get a prescription, you need to drive 40 miles to Maryville. And that's really the theme of living in a town like that, is that the world doesn't generally come to you. So if you want to go to anything, you have to be willing to drive. If you lived in this area, chances are you are either a farmer or a teacher, or a retired farmer, or a retired teacher, or a pastor. I mean, not exactly, of course, but those were the most common jobs. And so because you had to drive to do most anything, a lot of people in that area, I think, had the idea that they were somehow less highly valued in the world, that they were considered second best because nothing came to them. This is the kind of town that I think of when I think of Nazareth. Nazareth, as I said, was a small town, two to four hundred people. Not much was going on in Nazareth. Most people worked in a nearby larger town. There wasn't a lot to do in Nazareth, as I said. In fact, ancient lists of cities in that area don't always remember to mention Nazareth. And there was a saying in Jesus' day that said, Can anything good come from Nazareth? No doubt people in Nazareth probably felt second best as well. And yet we know the answer to that question. We know that, yes, something very good can come from Nazareth, Jesus, the Savior of the world. And it's in this small town that we meet Mary, who would become the mother of Jesus. Therefore, we learn that small towns matter and that small towns are not second best, but God works with people, even in small towns. So, 
in our story, Mary is visited by an angel, the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel says, greetings, you who are highly favored. And we agree with that. Of course, she is highly favored as as she is one of the most well-known women in all of history because of what happened. But the angel explains to her that she is going to be the the mother of Jesus, the Messiah. Now, oftentimes we think that her response is humble acceptance. And she did respond that way, but not right away. No, her first response was a little bit of disbelief as she says, how can this be? For I have not been with a man. I'm a virgin. See, let me give you a little bit of background here. You see, Mary probably would have been between 13 and 15 years of age, an adult by ancient world standards, as people were considered to be adults once they hit puberty. And so as was the custom of the day, Uh, Mary's parents would have arranged her to be married to Joseph. We don't know how they would have known him. Uh, I'm guessing that Mary and Joseph didn't know each other that well. They certainly didn't love each other yet. In an arranged marriage, love is something that grew. And so they were engaged. And an engagement typically lasted for a year, during which time the husband would prepare a dwelling place for them to live in. And the engagement was binding, so if you were going to get out of the engagement, you would need to get a divorce. And of course, there were to be no sexual relations until the wedding took place. So this this whole idea of how could she be pregnant now was a very valid question. And she's probably thinking to herself, how can this be? But the angel explains to her that she will conceive by the Holy Spirit. And then after that, she responds with her humble acceptance. And she, she, she accepts it as God's will for her life. No doubt she's still wrestling with disbelief. I mean, think about it. Her whole life is going to be turned upside down. This is not the order in which things are supposed to happen, right? You're supposed to get married and then conceive and have children. That's not the way it is, especially in the ancient world. And so, you know, I mean, it makes you wonder, why couldn't God have waited until they were married? You know, what would it have mattered if it was like a year later and she conceived after they were married? That would have been a lot easier for Mary and Joseph. Uh, Mary, I'm sure, was worried about a lot of things, like how is Joseph going to respond? Is he going to want a divorce? And of course, as we know from last week's sermon, that's exactly what Joseph was going to do. He was going to divorce her. Uh, what would other people think? They would lose respect for her. And yet, she humbly accepts this call on her life, even knowing that it is going to mean hardship for the rest of her life. It's not just the time that she's pregnant that it's going to be a hardship. It's going to be a hardship for the rest of her life as she raises and has responsibility for raising the Messiah. And then even though she doesn't understand this yet at this point, she is going to have to watch as he dies on the cross. God's call on her life is for a difficult life. But she responds. So, First response is disbelief and questions. Second response is acceptance. Third response is love. She responds with love as she breaks out into song, the Magnificat, uh, where she exclaims the joy of the Lord, 
the blessing that is on her for being the mother of the Messiah. Remember last week we talked about the Messianic hope. Everybody was waiting and hoping for the Messiah. So hardships aside, this was still an exciting time for her that the promises of God were finally going to take place. So what does this have to do with us today? What can we learn from this? Well, there are a couple of things that we can learn from this very foundational story. First of all, when God calls us to do things, sometimes it's inconvenient. Sometimes God calls us to do things that are not easy. They don't result in comfort or joy or happiness or, or luxury. It can be hard for us to remember, especially as Americans, because we're so used to the idea of excess and luxury, having more than enough and living in comfort. But So it's hard for us to remember that God doesn't always just necessarily call for us to be happy all the time, to follow all of our impulses to whatever we want to do. Sometimes God call, God's call turns our life completely upside down. Maybe it changes the order in which we thought things would happen. Maybe it means some sense of hardship. God's call is not always convenient. But God doesn't call people for convenience. God calls people to make a difference. You know, when Mary was called, she wasn't the most experienced mother in the world. I mean, she hadn't even been a mother. She wasn't even married. God could have chosen so many people to be the mother of Jesus. He could have chosen so many women who would have had more experience being a mother. And yet, Mary wasn't even married. I mean, he was conceived out of wedlock. And that shows us that you don't have to have experience to be called to do something. It helps, yes. Having experience helps. But sometimes when we're called to do something, it means not that we have to be an expert or a pro or perfect at it. It does mean we need to work at it and we need to practice and we need to prepare. But God doesn't necessarily call the experienced. God calls the willing those who are willing to obey and to follow his calling, and that was Mary. She was willing to be obedient and to follow God's calling, as was Joseph, for that matter. And so we learn, first of all, that when God calls us to do something, yes, it will usually bring us joy, but it's not necessarily always going to be easy, and sometimes it may mean some hardship or inconvenience. The second thing we learn in this story is that God doesn't just call important people or what we in our world would refer to or think of as important people. So the world's definition of who is important is very different from God's definition of who's important. According to the world, important people include those who have a certain income level, who have a respectable amount of money or extra money. Uh, important people in the world are those who have a certain kind of home or a certain kind of job or a certain kind of status in society. That's how we label importance in a lot of ways. But that's not how God labels importance. You see, God considers that all people are important. It doesn't matter what their income level is. They could be making very little money and they would still be considered important. They could be inexperienced and still be important. They could be living below the poverty line, as I said. They could be living in a in a not very nice house. They could be living, you know, working whatever they're doing for a living. It doesn't matter. We are important to God. Everybody is important to God. And so we learn this when he chooses this small town girl from a town that most people hardly ever even heard of. This small town, seemingly insignificant, 
This girl who had no experience, nobody had heard of her before, and he chose her and Joseph to be the parents of the Savior of the world. You see, evidently, what we think makes for a good resume in our world today is not what God thinks makes for a good resume necessarily. God doesn't look at the things that the world looks at. He chooses the humble. He chooses the willing. He chooses those who are, who are willing to obey and follow his calling. And so all those other things, they're not important. And so we remember that it doesn't matter who you are, how experienced or inexperienced you may be, how much money you may or may not make, what you do or don't do for a living. None of those things matter. God is calling you. I don't know what God's calling you to do. That's something that you have to figure out. Maybe you already know, maybe you don't, but God is calling all of us to do something. God is calling us to make a difference. It's not always easy. It's not always convenient. But God is calling us. And the question is that when we are called by God, how are we going to respond? Are we going to respond with disbelief or annoyance or acceptance? Or maybe a little bit of everything, maybe a little bit of disbelief, annoyance, and acceptance all at the same time, and that's okay. But how will we respond? Hopefully, as Mary did, we will respond with faithful acceptance and obedience to follow his call in our lives. And then finally, how do we respond to this gift of love? Because as we think about the theme of love, we realize that Jesus is the gift of love. And that sounds really cliche, maybe we could say cheesy, but it's true. Jesus is the gift of love because he shows us how much God loves us and cares for us. And so how do we respond to that? How do we respond to this gift of love? Well, we respond by how we treat others. We respond by sharing that love of God, by treating others with love. And when we do that, then we can change the world. And I'm, I'm not talking about the do whatever I want kind of love. I'm not talking about the do whatever feels good kind of love. I'm talking about the kind of love that Jesus showed in his lifetime, self-sacrificial love. The kind of love that Mary and Joseph showed in their lifetime. The kind of love that says the needs of others are better than my own. Giving of ourselves for others. Sacrificing. Being inconvenienced for the lives of others. That's self-sacrificial love that Jesus modeled on the cross. May we as Christians be a model of that self-sacrificial kind of love. As we continue through this season of Advent, and throughout the year. Amen. God bless, and have a great week.